Welcome to week three of our sermon series on A Thinking Person's Guide to Faith. The topic for today is Making Sense of the Bible. Now, our text comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. These are the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Almighty God, we treasure the scriptures. We look to them for direction, for encouragement, for guidance in our daily lives. But Lord, the scriptures also bring difficult questions for us. Give us clear eyes to see and hearts to understand what you want to teach us in the Bible. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I love the Bible. It's by far the most important book in my life. I take it seriously. I read it. I study it. I try to live my life by it, although I get it wrong way too often. Right now, in fact, I'm taking more courses in Hebrew and Greek to try to understand the Bible better. I love it. I love it enough to wrestle with it. And I love it enough to question it. I take it seriously enough to ask some tough questions of it. Uh, I remember in Vacation Bible School as a child, during our opening ceremony every day, one of the things we would do was recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path, and I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. That sounds great. I didn't know enough then to question it, but as I look back on that pledge of allegiance, even that raises some questions for me. Uh, it says, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. But in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so is the Bible God's word or is Jesus God's word? Which is it? And the pledge says that I'll make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Uh, beautiful words. I, I love those scriptures. But that psalm was written long before most of the rest of the Bible. Uh, the those words were originally written long, long before most of the Bible. And so what word is that verse talking about? And then uh, I also have to ask uh, where my true allegiance lies. Ultimately, is my allegiance with this book that we call the Bible, or is my allegiance with Christ? Which, we can't serve two masters, we have to choose one. And where is my ultimate allegiance? Uh, my, my ultimate allegiance is to Christ. Now, I know that people will disagree. Many people argue for the inerrancy of Scripture. They argue that God dictated every word and that every word must be true and accurate, historically, scientifically, theologically, that it must be perfect in, in all its forms. Uh, I've seen people use the Bible like a magic eight ball. Uh, they ask a question and then they open the Bible and point to a verse to get an answer. Um, people view the Bible with that kind of magic and wonder. 
But when I take the Bible seriously, all of those approaches cause me some serious problems. Here's an example. In Leviticus 21, it says that if a priest's daughter becomes a prostitute, the priest is to burn her alive. Now, I do believe the Bible. I truly believe that it should be our guide for life. But if one of my daughters were to become a prostitute, there's no way in the world I would burn her alive. In fact, there's nothing one of my daughters could do that would cause me to burn her alive, no matter what the Bible says. So here's a, a clear example of actual words from Scripture that, uh, that I refuse to live by. I, I don't believe that those are God's best words for us. In, in Joshua, God commands the genocide of the Canaanites. Uh, the way that the writer of Joshua records it is that God instructs Joshua and Israel to move into the land and to destroy every Canaanite person, man, woman, child, baby, to completely wipe them out. Now they don't do it, but still the Bible records that as God's instruction. I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time seeing a God of love as also being genocidal. And so I wrestle with it. I question it. And those are fair questions. The Bible says that the punishment for working on the Sabbath is death. Now we could have all kinds of discussions about what it means to keep the Sabbath holy, but I'm not going to be in favor of executing anyone for violating the Sabbath. A literal interpretation of these texts and of others makes it hard for a lot of people to take the Bible seriously. I know too many people who have read those things and they said they have no interest in a book that would instruct those sorts of things. When we tell people they have to believe and follow these verses literally, many will turn and walk away. And I don't blame them. Again, I'm not burning my daughters alive. But what about those who do believe in inerrancy? What if they want to believe the Bible literally? For those people, I would simply encourage consistency. If you truly believe that you can follow the Bible literally, if you do believe in its inerrancy, then uh, follow all of it. Follow the New Testament dietary standards. The, the last law that we have on diet in the New Testament comes from Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, where, uh, where the council commands Gentile Christians, that, that's us, not to eat meat with the blood still in it. So if we're going to take the Bible literally, as if it's inerrant, then we must go begin eating kosher meats. Um, Jesus said, sell all you have and give it to the poor. That's in the Bible. We must divest ourselves of all that we have. If we're going to be literalist, uh, let the dead bury the dead. That's not the way I'm going to behave when my mom dies. That's not the way I acted when my dad died. I wanted to be there and be a part of that celebration. When someone strikes you on one cheek, offer them the other as well. It's amazing to me how many people who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture also believe in the Second Amendment. Uh, they want to carry guns to shoot people who would strike us, strike us on the cheek. If you want to be a literalist, you really can't pick and choose which verses you're going to follow. Integrity requires that it's all or nothing. Either we take all the Bible literally or we figure out that it requires some interpretation.
What if our approach is wrong? What if we're actually misusing scripture sometimes? The Bible is not a magic eight ball. It's not a what it's not a tool to just open up and point to a verse to get the answer to whatever our predicament is. It's not an owner's manual like we get with our cars. It's not a rule book per se. Most importantly, the Bible is not God. To treat the Bible as God is a form of idolatry. And sometimes I think we do that. We worship the Bible instead of the God that the Bible tells us about. We revere the Bible as though it were God, but when we do that, we make an idol out of it. There's even a word for that, bibliolatry. It's making the Bible an idol. What the Bible is, it's, it's filled with stories of people's interactions with God over a 1,500-year period 2,000 years ago. What we have recorded in these remarkable pages are stories of people who are trying to figure out who God is and what that relationship with God looks like. The writers of Joshua believed that God called them to exterminate the Canaanites. That reflects their understanding of God. It's a tribal understanding of God. It was very common in the ancient Near East. And so when they imagined what God was like, they imagined a God that would call for the extermination of enemies. That's the way they understood God's to behave. But did those writers have a perfect understanding of God? Just because it's in the Bible, does it mean that the writers completely understood who God is? Or could they have been off track a little? The Bible sometimes even contradicts itself. In the Gospel of Luke, we've talked about it before, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke ascends into heaven from Bethany uh, near Jerusalem. In the Gospel of John, Jesus ascends into heaven from Galilee, 80 or 90 miles to the north. Uh, both can hardly be true. Uh, but those stories were not written to tell us the specifics of Jesus' ascension as much as they were to affirm the Lordship of Christ. When we read the Bible as science, history, or an owner's manual, we're probably going to miss the mark. So how do we approach it? Well, Paul writes to Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient equipped for every good work. Uh, all scripture is inspired by God. That's what Paul says, but what is he talking about? The New Testament did not yet exist when Paul wrote those words. Uh, in all likelihood, when Paul says all scripture, he's referring to the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament. Those were the scriptures of the early church. Uh, the New Testament was still being written. In fact, Paul is writing the New Testament with these very words. And he says all scripture is inspired. The word there is a compound word in the Greek that Paul made up. It didn't exist before. It's only used once in the Bible and it can mean God breathed. Uh, it can mean inspired. It's, it's a compound word that uses the word for God and the word for breath. And it's hard when it's only used once to know exactly what the intent was, but it's safe to say that God speaks through the scriptures. I, I don't believe that that God breathed means that God sent, that sat down with the writers and dictated word for word God's perfect word. 
Instead, that God breathes through or speaks through the scriptures into our daily lives. And God speaks for a purpose, is what Paul is telling us. The purpose of the scriptures is to equip us for good work. Now, again, it's hard for me to see the burning of my daughters as good work. Uh, God, God's word, or the scriptures, equip us for good work. They equip us to be loving and peaceful and kind and good and generous. The scriptures equip us to be Christ followers. The word of God should guide us in all of our thoughts, words, and actions. The Bible itself calls Jesus the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the final and clearest picture we have of who God is. Jesus gave the great commandment, which he says contains all the law and the prophets. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love neighbor as yourself. Jesus is the word, and Jesus interprets all of scripture through the law of love. When I think about how to interpret scripture, I'm reminded of a common kitchen utensil that we have, and probably you do too, a colander, a strainer. Uh, we when we want to wash uh, vegetables or, or rinse out pasta or whatever, we will we'll put the food into the colander and we let all the stuff we don't want pass through the holes at the bottom and we keep what's the very best. We keep what we, uh, what we plan to eat. In a similar way, I think, Jesus' words and the great commandment uh, serve like that colander. We put all of scripture into the colander and we let pass through the colander anything that doesn't align with Jesus' words or with the great commandment. So I read those genocidal words. I put them into the colander, and those genocidal words pass through because they do not line up with the God that we see revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't cut them out of the Bible. They're still a valuable part of Scripture. They're still useful for study, and I do study those, and I try to understand them, but I do not let those passages define who God is. The genocidal stories from Joshua do not define God because Jesus defines God. Jesus is the image of the Father. Jesus defines God. And I pray that Jesus will be a lamp to our feet and a light into our paths, that we may not sin against God or one another. Amen. I look forward to sharing with you next week as we look at the logic of hell. Uh, do, must we believe in hell to be followers of Christ? Thank you for joining us, and may God bless you this week.